0: Welcome to Episode 4 of Chapter 2 for the Markup by Mediaverse. We're talking about homicidal mass. And in this episode, we want to wrap up our discussion about benchmark reporting as it relates to homicide. You know, those stories that you see almost every week, uh, definitely every quarter, about the, the rate of homicides that occur in Memphis and Shelby County. And so our discussion has centered around the use of data and how that data impacts policy decisions. And you know, Melanie, as an educator, you you've worked you've spent a lot of time dealing with data. What do you think? What do you think about the discussion that we've had so far?
1: Towing the line, you know, as a journalist and as an educator, um, a lot of times I have to make decisions based on data. You know, very immediately, sometimes it could change the entire lead for a story. It could change who I talk to as a source. In the classroom, I have to make decisions sometimes with a child standing right there in front of me. I may have to change a quiz. I may have to change what my tests may have to be. I may have to change what I teach the next class period. So those are very real time decisions that I have to make as a journalist and as an educator. Um, but i think it just begs the question of what are the expectations in creating a timeline to make data informed decisions we're going to talk about that here
0: next to what you're saying
1: what's interesting about when we talk about data, especially when you're, you know, you're talking about a specific industry, right? And we've been talking about policing. We've been talking about governance, you know, municipal decisions based on set data. Uh, we're looking at the Crime Commission survey, um, looking at the reliability and the validity of that particular survey um, based on the population size of our county. And how we make decisions on how we can run our city better, how we can make people feel safer, how we can, you know, address issues like gun violence and this issue based on all of this data that we're making. But it makes me wonder about the timeline in which those changes have to be evident. And if I could make a, a type of correlation, if I shall, you know, on episode one we had your wife, um, who is an educator. Um, here in in our district. And it made me wonder, you know, with all the facts that she told us, the way that she broke it down, the way that she explained it explicitly, just as a great educator should do, it makes me wonder, like, if teachers have to make real-time, data-informed decisions in the classroom, if the child is not learning a specific data, you know, point on a standard, is not being addressed correctly in the testing data, um, you're doing formative assessments, you know, with quizzes, you're grouping children based on it, you're matriculating kids into specific classes and interventions because of data, right, all within a school year, sometimes within an hour, you know, that you have this child. So if teachers have to make real-time data-informed decisions in the classroom in which they work, then how does that correlate into policing and governance? We're collecting a lot of data, Right. Everywhere you go there is data that is just coming in and we generate headlines because of it. But in the headlines that we generate, should that also you know, push for some type of urgency to use that very data in the field in which we're working, which is the city of Memphis, Shelby County, how are we using that to make our neighborhoods safer? How are we doing that to make funding decisions based on schools or community centers or Infrastructure changes, um, access to affordable housing. You know specific targets. You know based on some of the factors that create, you know, uh, crime and violence within the city. So if teachers have to do it sometimes within a class period, what should be the level of expectation that we give law enforcement and municipalities to make those same type of
0: decisions? I think what we see throughout the year. And they, it tends to pop up when you have sort of the benchmark reporting that we're talking about here right. in terms of in terms of homicides, at least. What we see is we, we see a recalibration at certain points of the year where the stories take on the, the persona of the police department is, you know, people being tired of crime. Uh, maybe our departments are overworked. And then they start talking. Then you get the, the discussion about where we should de- deploy our resources. Should we have more police doing this? And then you have new uh, police units being formed to target quote unquote gangs and gun violence. And so I think you see those type of reactions. Uh, you also uh, tend to see, uh, like we just recently had this crime commission uh, study done or, or polling done of, of I guess 425 or 75, right. 475 voters. Uh, or people respondents in Shelby County, uh, that ultimately, or I guess you could draw a connection between that and the mayor of Memphis wanting to get rid of the residency requirement in the city of, you know, the city of Memphis for mm. public safety workers, right? Because right, right. the study said, you know, people didn't have a problem with that. So I, I think when you look at the data that's being generated and, and accumulated throughout the year, you you see these these responses to it. I think from my perspective, and, and we were talking about episode one and we talked with my wife and we talked with Josh Bickler from Just City. One of the things that we focused on was one, that you know, the murder rate is never going to be zero, right? And because right. we tend to uh, focus on, or, or, or because our policy seems to originate from position that just one is too many, or, you know, that that seems to be an awkward place to start when you understand how math works, right? When you understand how the murder rate works from year to year, maybe there are some population distortions in that number that cause that, that, that rate to fluctuate beyond the simple number of, of homicides that occur. So it's, it's far more complicated. There's far more... Men, far more uh, nuanced discussion that needs to take place when you look at this from a, on a quarterly basis or a month-to-month basis or just basically every week or every time something happens in the city, we, we, we get this constant refrain about, you know, we have a, 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 a we have a gun violence problem in the city when that's not even really reflective of all of the interactions that are happening in the city. And I thought that was a great point that Denitra made in episode mm-hmm. two. Yeah when she brought it home about, you know, how representative the newscasts are and how our reporting should be, you know, how, how really representative it is. And there are It's some the low hanging there.
1: fruit. It's the low right. hanging fruit. This is just very easy. We may not necessarily have the training for some of our journalists in these newsrooms to really, you know, uncover what it is that I'm creating out into this world to help people. What am I helping people understand better? Within this, if, if our job is to inform, to create a more informed public, then how does this perp walk at the top of my news or on the front page of my newspaper, you know, make me more informed? Or does it just kind of create this, you know, populace of fear, this narrative of fear? Because honestly, if that's all you can do, then I think it speaks volumes in terms of the leadership. Because now that you have this data, what type of informed decisions can you make if you can address safety? I think some municipalities do a really good job in addressing policing. We need more funding for police. We gotta get more police on the street. And they serve a valuable focus. They do outreach and all of that. But if our only silver bullet to addressing crime in the city is by more policing, more visible policing, more police surveillance and, you know, the sky cops collecting data. Okay, so then what, (laughs) and and then what? So it really doesn't create the chain reaction that they think is the solution. We've been policing and saying that we've been tough on crime for decades now. and, And nothing is really changing the situation to make these communities feel safer. And I don't think the, you know, the little over 400, you know, uh, survey respondents can really determine that. Like, how is that representative across zip codes? Because if we're based on, on that data, 75% of the respondents say they feel safe. So do it, we really have a crime issue?
0: Exactly. And Is 25%
1: think, enough? 25% it, don't feel safe enough, right? The numbers, what does it mean?
0: It, it, I, I think that's a great point. It, one of the other things that Denitra mentioned to, to piggyback on that is that it's difficult when you have these stories, these benchmark stories, it's difficult to uh, sometimes have a pushback within the story because these are the type of stories that perhaps journalists need in order to uh, brandish a relationship or, or bolster a relationship with, the, with MPD right? Or with the police department. So if they don't do these type of stories, if they don't get these storylines across, then they may not get a call back from from the police department, or they may, you know, they may get to a story late. So you see that sort of transactional journalism that occurs. And it it definitely happens in some, you know, in some cases, where you see that sort of, okay, I'm not going to raise quite real questions about the data that's being presented here but I'm just going to give it to the people and attribute it to the police. And that's just basically a one source story when that's really not what we need. We need proper context. And, right. you know, to, to fold into episode three, where we brought DJ shingles, who was a former uh, South Haven police police officer. And now, you know, he heads a a, a foundation called the bridge initiative, which, Aims to teach people or, or bridge the gap between the community and the police and what he was saying was that, you know, even in those stories and when you have those stories, it doesn't really help police in terms of what they do overall because it paints a picture that this is the only thing that police do, and it's not the only thing that police do handling these type of issues may be a small fraction of the work that they do. And there's a lot more that goes on. There's a lot more nuance that goes on into these homicide investigations that that occur. And so, you know, that, that alone got me to thinking about, well, what if we really learned about, when we talk about a crisis, you know, the homicide rate to me is not a crisis as compared to the COVID nineteen, which is what right. we talked to. Such a great you know,
1: point. That was yeah, it's it's, it's nothing
0: like it's nothing like, you know, it's nothing like COVID nineteen, and I, I I thought about you know, look at what COVID nineteen has done to the city, right? It's basically shut down the city. It closed schools. It it you know it closed hot. It, it put hospitals on high alert. You know, it changed the very fabric of what we do on a daily basis. And that's not something that we saw, that's not something that we've, we've seen with, um, with the homicide rate. That's never happened. And that's what we talked to James Acock about, you know, first, who goes by first responses on Twitter. That's what we talked to him about. You know, what could we learn if we want to do something about homicides and the data that were being presented? What could, you know? how does it translate to real life? And we saw that with COVID. We saw how that translated. And I don't see that same thing happening with gun violence, right? It's, 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 not, it's, not, it's, it's not on an epidemic level. And I think that's the context that so we see. So what are we saying missing.
1: here? So what are we saying? Are we saying that this plague of gun violence isn't really the epidemic that the data is showing?
0: I, I, think that's, I think I think exactly I think that's exactly what we're showing. I, 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 there's, two, there's two things. One, I think that the numbers exist and the, the way that we report on crime, we take it from a position of we're trying to warn people so they can so they can take um, be more cautious in their steps and their actions in the city. So we're coming from a position of warning people. but at the same time, taking that position also increases the paranoia in the city to levels that, that don't need to happen. You know what I'm saying? But I think it's
1: also about, there really isn't a great way to present public safety if the focus is on policing, if the focus is on stigmatizing particular zip codes or parts of the city that are just kind of looming with this ever present danger, right? But what is a public safety message if we know that certain crimes have happened, say, for instance, we have police data saying that, you know, there has been a higher incident of gun violence in 38104, which is Midtown, right? So what would the public safety message be? Would you tell people to not go out after seven o'clock or sometime between six o'clock and 11 o'clock because that's when those crimes happen? Like, What is the public safety message that is data-informed? The same level of expectation that we have for educators, right, that are paid by taxpayers' dollars, that are also paying for programs when it comes to public safety and policing. Why isn't the expectation that you have this data, how is it informing public safety? How are you making for a more informed population because of that data?
0: If if we understand the data. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense so if we look at the data that we have we know that the vast majority of homicides occur they're not random these are not serial killers these are not you know people just targeting people on the streets most of the people who are involved in homicides or become a homicide victim there's this the the person who committed the act is someone that they know right so we know that if, if, there's a, so if there's a public safety message, it is to watch your circle. It's to watch who you deal with. It's to watch who you have argument with because- So
1: Richard, so let me, let me, just, let me just take it home then. So if that is the case and we know that, right? Is this just regular human behavior? This isn't an ec- epidemic. Is this just human behavior?
0: Exactly. It Watch is, who it, you're it,
1: hanging out with be careful of your surroundings it is, it is clear is gun, violence, re- gun is, violence is a red herring for what
0: it's it's a red herring for being afraid of the people who are living in the city that there's a constant fear that there may be gangs there may be young people who are rising up to take over the city and the and the the data does not show that right and so I think what this data does, it dehumanizes the very people in the city. These are common interactions. People can get upset, things that happen, accidents occur. There may be some, intentional, you know, there's domestic violence that occurs every day and it can escalate to a point to where someone loses their life. But these are common everyday interactions that happen because that's life, right? These are, these are this is humanity, you know, of, you know acting out in front of us I, that's not really what i want to say but but you get the point that i'm making here yeah. right and so what we what we're trying to do is every year we, we we run this clock and we say oh the homicide rate is going this way as if it says something about us but i think what it says about us is that every year people somebody's going to make a mistake somebody's going to lose their life life happens and this is another indication of how life occurs in the city it's not a condemnation, it shouldn't be a condemnation, I don't think, uh, at least not to the levels that we're putting it at. It shouldn't be a, a condemnation that says that African-Americans are inherently violent. And that seems to be the message that we're drawing from uh, when we do these, these uh, benchmark stories on homicides You know, every, every now and then, and that's wrong we have to restore humanity to people. You know, I think there's a way that we can talk about the sanctity of life. Like for instance, again, with COVID-19, everybody I know knows somebody who, who had the virus and know multiple people who died from the virus. And that changed the conversation about death, right? And so if we wanna have a conversation about homicides, then we gotta change the conversation around death and how people Come into our lives and how they leave our lives and the way that we're doing it right now is 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 just wrong you know we shouldn't be we shouldn't be demonizing people who live in certain sections of the city we shouldn't be demonizing people based on race but that's exactly what we're doing when we do these benchmark stories and we're acting like oh it's a bad thing because the police actually have to do the job that we hired them to do you know that, that doesn't make sense to me so i felt fit i feel fit the number of homicides that occur in the county are far less than the number of com- homicides that happen within the city limits of Memphis. Is that, never,
1: is that comparable by ratio? So when you look at the number of people in in the county versus no, the city, in no. ratio, do those crimes per per person, you know how they have the... the right, right. But,
0: but the, here's the thing, though. You, you can't, it's, it's never going to be exact because again people tend to forget that Memphis is part of Shelby County right and so even if you're doing the numbers you know if you take the suburb the numbers for the suburbs and you do that that's 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 not going to be a fair comparison even if you do in a ratio because mm-hmm. of the size of the populations right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. It, it's, it's not I don't think it's going to be a fair comparison but the point the point is is that but
1: yet Memphis is always compared to the suburbs so right. why don't we to mimic what makes the suburbs safer, right? If we had the data to support a decision like that. I mean, I could understand how something like that could drive someone just to see a headline that is misleading, but are we really making data informed decisions? If we're always comparing and contrast between life in the city and life in the county, because even when people say the county, it doesn't include Memphis in that narrative. When people say the county here in Memphis, they're always referring to Bartlett, Cordova, Arlington, Germantown, Collierville. That's the county. It's almost as if Memphis is DC. It's got its own statehood. You know, it's just kind of just here, you know? But it's part of Shelby County. But yet it's compared and contrasted between life in the county and life in the city.
0: You know, so much of this is about Feelings, you know, it's feelings. Just like, and I think one of the things that impact how people feel about safety again is is just like what they see on the news, is what they read in the newspaper, and the fact that every night you see a crime story, and people relate that to, well, I don't feel safe because this is constantly happening in my community. But what people need to do is is to take a step back and understand that the images. And the stories that they see in the paper are snapshots. They're not reflective of the full reality that you experience. Like, for instance, I've been a crime victim in Memphis before. It happened about 10, 15 years ago. But in the in the span since then, you know, that that doesn't dominate who my, my existence in Memphis. I've had more good days than I've had bad days in Memphis, right? My reality in the city is not depicted on the newscast that I, as I see it, you know, so I think one of the things that we can do to help when we talk about the feelings of safety is for, for local media, for outlets to continue to do more work to contextualize crime stats, but also to help people understand that that's not the full narrative in the city.
1: You know, but going back to a point that you made earlier about journalists not wanting to, you know, tarnish their relationship with the police and may not necessarily have access, but wouldn't that push them to investigate more? You know, I always feel like a hungry journalist is the one that always wants to know more. And if you're shut out from that, then a good journalist is going to want to know why am I being shut out? And I think it may actually be good for journalists to lose that access. Not to say that it makes it easy because I've been there, right? But at the same time, think about the level of reporting. Think about the less of a frequency of those, you know, perp walks or front page misleading, you know, uh, data stories that may not necessarily be the full perspective, it would probably lessen our saturation of crime reporting. I say, why not? Burn the bridges, you know, (laughs) I think it could encourage some really great investigation, investigative journalism that could really, you know, set the city on fire and possibly get some of those Policy changes and conversations going to shift that narrative. I'm I'm down for it, Richard. What do you think?
0: I think you're right, and ah! I think we've I think we've seen Give me. I think we've seen some good journalism that's happened recently. Oh, yeah. That question that raised questions about the efficacy of some of the policy uh, I guess the policy decisions that have been made and how money has been spent, and I think that gives people uh, more context for well, how the city is approaching the crime issue. Well, this has been a great conversation, Melanie. Man,
1: viva la revolution.
0: We've had a great chapter two, homicidal math. Uh, we look forward to doing more work. Thank you guys for joining us. This is The Markup
1: by Mediaverse. To what you're saying. To
0: what you saying.